you tarot for the wild soul deep conversations in tarot medicine for your highest evolution i'm your host lindsay mack thank you so much for being with me today i am so excited to introduce this next guest um i love her so much i know that you will too but before i do i have a couple of super duper quick announcements that i promise you're gonna want to hear So I'm going to start, first of all, by getting the kind of like businessy things out of the way. I have two classes that I'm going to be teaching this summer. One is called The Court Cards, (laughs) and it's exactly what it sounds like. It's four weeks. Pardon me. Four weeks. Four Sundays in July talking about pages, knights, queens, and kings. So if you've ever been stumped or stymied or felt insecure about your practice with the court cards, um, it will be a really big, um, uh, just a really awesome chance to kind of dig in and get super nitty gritty really in the sweetness of them. Um, And it will look at all the different ways of viewing them and how to begin to drop into your own meanings because the court cards really are, I think, of all the parts of the suit, just like truly the mirror for imagination and intuition and really one way of learning them is not the way. Um, But I do have, I think, some rather fun ways of looking at them. So if you're looking to go a little deeper with your practice that starts on July 8th and you can sign up on my website, lindsayback.com. And I also just want to say a huge thank you to everybody, literally a hundred, hundreds of people, (laughs) um, reached out to me about the podcast episode that I released last week called trauma and the tarot. I could never have anticipated the response, the kindness, the gratitude that poured forth from so many of you. And I just want to say, like, just bowing to you. I'm really grateful that it served and resonated with so many. Um, if you haven't caught it, uh, you know, you can listen now if that interests you. Um, and I've decided that because it was so popular, I've taught a class on trauma in the tarot twice. I taught one in Brooklyn about a year and a half ago, and I taught one at Other Wild in Los Angeles about, I think, a year ago now. So that those teachings have really been refined, but they've also been born of that class, and I've decided to do an online version of that class and the podcast episode I shared um, that's going to happen on July 14th. So if you feel called, if that feels like something that might be good for you and your practice, um, that is now up for enrollment. Now, I also know that I want to offer a disclaimer. I know that some people are triggered even by talking or hearing about trauma. So I promise I'm not going to talk about it too, too much on the podcast. Like I'll give another, I'll give another shout out a little closer to the episode, but beyond that, probably not going to bring that up too much again. And I want to say that if you're somebody who is working through a major trauma, just like either like this time right now is a little crunchy for you or a little contracted for you, or it has been in the past, or sometimes you, you dip in and out of it, good days, bad days. A, I see you and you're normal. That's number one. And number two is that, um, 
inevitably and invariably, there are going to be triggering topics that we'll talk about during this class. It is a class about trauma. So I recommend this class for anyone who um, is experiencing a sturdiness and has roots on the ground. I'm saying this with no judgment. Sometimes I am not sturdy and sometimes I do not have roots in the ground. <laughs> um, it's the way that it is when there's been trauma, when we're actively working and processing it. Sometimes we're a little bit up in the waves rather than down in the body, down in the earth. And I want to let you know that if you're interested in taking this class and going a little bit further, you are more than welcome to purchase it and like watch it later because it's, everybody's going to get a recording. So just know that if you feel on the day of the class, like triggered, upset, no judgment of self there, you are more than welcome. You can watch it in a year. So, you know, there's no problem with that. So if you're feeling called to just get more in-depth information, experience a couple of folks asking questions, me working with some people talking through the spreads of the class. Um, it's just going to be like an, a continuation of that class. Like I want to let anyone know who are a little concerned, like what if I sign up and then I'm having a bad day. The whole class is um, framed and structured around you potentially having a bad day. So it's all good. You're welcome to purchase it and watch it later. And if anybody really wants to take the class and can't afford it, truly a need-based thing, it's $44. You can pay over two payments. So I've created a payment plan. Um, hopefully that serves everybody. Um, and yeah, if not, contact me and we'll talk. Um, so those are my two classes. The other thing that's really exciting, speaking of uh, payment plans and such. My big eight-week tarot course, for those of you who don't know, I teach a giant eight-week online tarot course um, in the fall. It will be coming out. Info, syllabus, and scholarship applications are now up on my website. So, by the way, you can sign up for Trauma in the Tarot on my website as well. Enrollment is open. So, going back to this, if you have been wanting to work with me, um, there are a pretty limited number of, there's 22, uh, need-based scholarships. A portion of them are reserved for, um, people of color, folks working in the fields of social justice, healing trauma, et cetera. Um, queer folk, you can read all about that on my website. There, um, have already been a lot more applications than I thought. <laughs> so um, if you want to be considered for an application, I would definitely highly encourage you to go for it and apply. Um, and uh, yeah, I guess it doesn't matter if you hurry, because even if you apply and you're right on the day of the application's closing, you'll get in. So, um, yeah. So I just encourage anybody who's wanted to work with me, wants to take this course. My online course is $397. And for that, you get basically eight weeks of videos, bonus content, a giant workbook, a chance to work in Q and a session with me, access to a group. It's very immersive. And, um, a lot of people who took it last year are now like actively professional readers, like killing it legitimately. It can really take you there or it cannot. Uh, depends on what you want. <laughs> but, um, if you are looking to, to take this class and if you have need, if you'd like to do it, it's not in your budget right now to 
um, if that 397 is not in your budget, then please, please, please go to my website and apply for a scholarship. And that's all I have to say right now. And now we'll talk about our interview. Oh, actually, I do have something to say right now. Um, I do. And that's that uh, the solstice is happening. And I feel like we should talk about it because this is a podcast about all kinds of things like that. <laughs> yeah, I have to. Um, I have to. I have to take this moment. If you don't want to, if you don't want to listen to it, you can just fast forward. But yeah, summer solstice is happening. So the summer solstice happens, for those of you who don't know, on June 21st and is the summer solstice for us in the north and the um, winter solstice for those of you in the southern hemisphere. Letha is the traditional pagan, not even pagan, but Celtic uh, name for the summer solstice. It's Letha. And um, the word for the winter solstice in the Southern Hemisphere is Yule. So you can call it whatever you want. Those are just two names that can be applied. So the significance of the solstice is really powerful. So the first thing is that we transition from the sign of Gemini to the sign of Cancer on the 21st. That's very significant. We're switching over signs around there, around the 20th, 21st. We're um, moving into the energy of summer. So we do that four times a year, switching poles, depending on where we are in the world. So when we're in the summer, the other side of the world's in winter, when we're moving into fall, they're in spring, etc. So what we do on the solstice, if we're living in the Northern hemisphere, is that we're going to experience a day with more sunlight in it, the sun will be up for more hours in the day for longer than any other day of the year. And the night will be the shortest. So the day will be the longest. The night will be the shortest during the summer solstice. And we honor this traditionally by having bonfires. It's a harvest celebration. It's a celebration of what we're birthing, what we're ready to bring forward, What's what fruit is growing on the vines, so to speak. We're also reaching what could technically be described as the halfway point of the year. It's an amazing opportunity to review. Consider where have we been? What are we doing? What have we done? How have we changed since January? I don't know about you, but I can say a lot has changed <laughs> since January 1st and certainly since last summer solstice. So it's just really cool and delightful to be able to honor and celebrate that as you see fit. So what we're doing on the summer solstice, actually, believe it or not, with all of that extra sunlight, we're being invited to turn to an honor bow to the dark. Why? Because as the light shines, as summer blazes, as we move into the absolute um, apex of this beautiful, like the sun is at its highest point. It's at its brightest point. The light is at its brightest. And even though we're going to be in summer for quite some time, everything after that, everything after the summer solstice is beginning to get a little bit shorter in the day, a little bit longer in the night. And so believe it or not, even though again in the southern or in the winter, Jesus, even in the Northern hemisphere, we're going to experience a lot more heat and brightness and sunlight. We're turning toward and honoring the dark 
because the summer solstice is again the apex point. And from there, we begin a slow journey into way darker days, way longer nights into the medicine of cold and winter. Now, for those of you in the Southern Hemisphere who will be honoring Yule, who will be honoring the winter solstice, what happens then is that that is for you in the Southern Hemisphere, the shortest day and the longest night. And when we consider that, people in the Southern Hemisphere are being invited to look to, turn to, and bow to the light. Even though things are dark and cold and there's still quite a bit of winter yet to experience, or darkness yet to experience, the light is coming. We may not see evidence of it, but it is on its way to us. So there's a lot of beauty here. And, you know, I, I do this offering called the Sacred Wheel that many of you are members of, I'm sure, who listen to this. And it's all about honoring the wheel of the year through the lens of tarot. There's something really powerful about doing that twice a month and seeing that the light and the dark are absolutely the same. And I knew that, but everything the Southern Hemisphere goes through the winter or the Northern Hemisphere is going through the same. There's just an inversion. There's a shift in the in the frequency of it, but it's the same. And it keeps reminding me that really death and birth are so similar. Light and dark are truly the same and bring us into the same medicine. And that's why I have always felt that it's so significant that in the height for us in the Northern Hemisphere, the height in the most riotous part of our summer, we move into cancer which can feel much love to my cancers out there, very strange in the height of summer. It's really when we start flipping into Leo that things begin to click over, make sense that, that we line up here. The loveliness of the fact that cancer rules over this time that is so hot and so um, entrenched in the height of summer for those of us in the Northern Hemisphere it's bringing us into something very similar, similar to the Southern Hemisphere. It's still bringing us into deep introspection, into the experience of what it is to consider life both in and out of the shell. So there's still this deep internal work that's happening just as the Southern Hemisphere goes through their deep winter. So there's always something shared there. And, you know, during our Yule, on the Northern Hemisphere, we're going through, what are we going through? I think Capricorn. I should know that. I'm sorry that I don't, but I believe it's Capricorn. Yeah, it is. So on December 21st, we go through that. There's something so powerful about the fact that we're in the height of winter and, you know, moving through this kind of like robust sign. It's the same thing. And for the Southern Hemisphere, they're going through their summer with this huge, beautiful Capricorn energy, that kind of flow is really seen in both dual perspectives and just continually proves to us that as the earth can hold both, so can we, that there really is no such thing as duality and as separation and really like black, white, as we see them in, um, symbology in terms of that. And of course, in this human experience, there are very, very important instances of black and white and of shades of gray. 
kind of fair, unfair, of course. But when we view this idea of nature, there's something very powerful that softens us into the subtleties. And we can really honor um, Letha and Yule this year by checking in with just reviewing. Like, where are you? What are you ready for? What's come? Um, ritual aspects to do during this time. Again, if you're if you're honoring and you're um, observing the summer solstice, then I cannot recommend more highly working with some kind of fire, whether it be candles or bonfire, or um, I cannot recommend more highly looking into the herbs used for Letha. There's um, St. John's wort. There's a list of so many beautiful herbs that you can collect and gather if they're available to you create something, hang it so that you have this beautiful totem for, you know, your solstice celebration. There's so much, there's some flowers, there's so much symbolism that you can either take through research or, or just create your own, whatever makes you think of fire and heat and summer and turning toward the dark while honoring the light. That's what we're both doing wherever we are in the world. So that's what I have to say about that. I got married on the summer solstice, so I'm a big fan. Um, and a couple of years ago. And, uh, so yeah, I hope you enjoy that because it's going to come up on us in a couple of days. And, uh, there actually is no better person to have on this podcast during this time because of her namesake. So I have wanted to, I feel like I say this with everyone. There's nobody that I have on the podcast that I don't really want to have on the podcast. Um, some people I learn about a little bit closer to their interview date than others, but mainly the people that you, you've heard from, I've known, loved, adored for a long time because I've only, I only created this podcast, um, 10 months ago. So, you know, only two people a month, that's not a lot. So this person, um, is amazing and has such a deep gift with the tarot, with her, expression of the tarot with the way that she describes herself. So I have on the podcast today, the beautiful, um, Christiana Winchek, also known as Crone of Wands. So Crone of Wands is a, just again, a beautiful alternate name for Queen of Wands, who is highly connected to the summer solstice as in which sunflowers all over her. So there's a lot of beautiful parallels here. Um, Christiana is a tarot reader. She's an herbalist, um, and she honors tarot herbs and magic as tools for reclaiming, harnessing, and honoring personal power through self-healing. She's a survivor of trauma. Her Instagram is a very, very potent place for describing, um, and offering a lot of medicine through her pulls, through her shares about what cards mean to her, through her experience through processing her trauma and her, um, work with herbs. It's quite beautiful. I loved our conversation and I'm so excited to share it with you. Um, at the risk of sort of going above and beyond, since I've already spoken for 20 minutes, uh, I'm going to just let you in on our conversation in which we talk about, um, how we connected, how she began her practice with the tarot and, you know, honoring her journey as a witch um, how she moved through the Brooklyn Fool's tarot journey. Uh, there's so much, so much goodness in medicine. So without further ado, I give you my interview with Crone of Wands and I hope you enjoy it. 
talk to you next week. Welcome to Tarot for the Wild Soul, deep conversations and tarot medicine for your highest evolution. Um, I'm so delighted to welcome to the podcast a dear friend, a dear co-reader, someone who I adore, someone whose Instagram you probably know and you're probably already following her, um, the amazing dear Christiana Winsett of Crone of Wands. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much, Lindsay. I am so excited and honored to be with you today. Oh, it's such a joy and I adore you. Um, so I have so much to chat with you about and I feel like so much deep and beautiful and probably humorous <laughs> stuff that we <laughs> will get into, but I'd love to start this interview how I've been starting my interviews because I just think it's such an impactful question about um you know, where we were able to tune in, touch, get access to our, you know, touch into our roots of spirituality and tarot. I'd love to know where you were born and raised. Yeah. So I was born in DC in the district of Columbia. Um, I grew up mostly outside of DC, like just outside in a very small town called Chevy Chase, Maryland suburb. Mm -hmm. Um, and I think, you know, I live on the West coast now, but as a fellow East coaster, I think, you know, that like spiritual topics are not necessarily always that prevalent in all parts of the East coast world. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, and so I was raised, uh, Catholic and, but I did go to a Waldorf school, um, which definitely gave me kind of an avenue to some other areas. And so there was kind of this like counterbalance of um, maybe more traditional belief systems and then slightly alternative belief systems that played out through the course of my upbringing in a pretty interesting way, I think. Oh, it's beautiful. I, you know, I, it's so interesting in these conversations where I've been asking people their sort of their origin, um, their point of origin in this lifetime. It's been so interesting how religion has played a apart from most of us, like, mm -hmm. you know, I was raised Catholic too. And there, there, yeah. there is something in there. Um, there is something in there. I don't know what it is exactly, Yeah, <laughs> but there's, no, it's, true. it's something it really is it's true. And I think as, as a very small child, you know, I remember feeling like really deeply connected to this idea of God yeah. and then as I got older, the way that that played out in the context of Catholicism just stopped working for me personally. Mm -hmm. um, but I remember finding that in that world as a very small child. And then I think as I got older, I had to find it maybe in other parts of the world. Totally. And in your raising, uh, you know, when you going to a Waldorf school, did you find that basically, uh, I feel like, this is like one of those questions that is probably like pretty obvious what the answer is, but it, <laughs> it strikes me that there's such a deep root system of nature-based experiential learning and connection in Waldorf. Um, and I'm just curious if you had a connection to nature that later fed into your spiritual work. 
Yeah, it's, I think it's really interesting. So, um, I'm going to be a little bit more specific. I didn't actually start going to the Waldorf school until I was about 10. And before that I was in Catholic school. Um, so when I first got there, I remember, you know, interacting with kids who were telling me that they could see fairies. And at the time I was just like, what are you talking about? (laughs) (laughs) You know, because I had come from this like very specific context of like, okay, we're going to do these things. And then I got blown out into this world full of imagination and full of, um, just like real openness. And, you know, not everybody there was like that, but there were a lot of students who had been with the school basically since kindergarten and, and had a real awe in terms of how they approached the world. Um, and, and kind of entering into that space in a middle school age, there were degrees to which I was able to connect with it and to which I wasn't. Um, it's kind of a tough age to start trying to enter into that space. If you have been a little bit removed from it before that. Mm -hmm. Um, and so I think I was like awake to certain parts of it, but it's really more in my adult life that nature has become a really big part of my practice. Um, Mm -hmm. and a lot of that happened when I moved to the West coast, honestly. Um, the way that the land is here has had a big impact on me in that way. Yeah. And thank you for sharing that. And you're, and it's, it's interesting now that we're talking about this because even as we were sort of just grounding for this, for this conversation, I forgot to bring up talking to you about plant medicine of which you have such a strong, beautiful, very visible connection with, that feels really soul deep and many lifetimes deep. And so it's just interesting how we're brought to, and it's just a very interesting how we're brought to landscapes that wake us up later. Um, like I have, I, I remember like I was raised in Jersey as you may or may not know. And I also had a very deep Catholic upbringing and, Jersey is very pretty, but Mm -hmm. I I grew up like 15 minutes outside of Manhattan and there just wasn't a lot. But I remember being in my 20s and having lived in New York, gone to school in Long Island, like just wasn't really had left behind what nature could be. And then I remember going somewhere and just truly being awakened and being like, oh, damn, like this is real, <laughs> you know, yeah. in like the most obvious way, but there, there's something really powerful when you're not beginning from there, but coming into that space too. It's Completely. Yeah. Completely. And I think, um, you know, I had, I, I was a quite sensitive child, but I also, um, am a childhood sexual abuse survivor. And mm-hmm. so there were ways in which being that sensitive, was often felt unsafe. Yeah, um, absolutely. And so there were ways in which I, I think I closed myself off to some of the things that I was sensitive to in my youth. Um, and nature I think was one of those things. And so it took me moving to a different context, being in these places where, you know, just the landscape will really completely knock you out sometimes. I mean, it's just jaw dropping to start to reconnect with, um, 
what that was offering me and the messages that that was bringing me. That's so powerful. So beautiful. And where did, when did tarot begin to come into your life? Um, so I, I got my first deck in my adolescence. I think I was probably about 12 or 13. Um, it's a good age. It's actually really funny because, um, I, I, am a listener of the podcast for sure. A hundred percent. And, uh, I ended up buying the same deck that Anias talked about buying from the Barnes and Noble also. <laughs> so, like, That's amazing. Sorry. Oh, I love that. Bless them. Bless them for creating it. You know what I mean? A hundred percent. It was, um, I think, yeah, just in that time frame, I think it was like the way that it was available to people, you know? Um, I recently got my hands on that deck again. I was home and helping my parents clean out the house that I grew up in. And, um, we found that <laughs> and another deck actually that I didn't even remember owning. Um, but it, it's so interesting because I think, um, when I found that second deck, I actually was a little surprised because the, my conscious memory of my interactions with tarot at that age are pretty limited. Mm-hmm. Um, I remember kind of messing around with it to a certain extent. I was definitely interested. Uh, I think I was a little bit scared of it um, at that time. And which again, I think engages in kind of a lot of themes of my youth, you know, like being pulled to and fascinated by these things, but also afraid of the power that they had to take me to parts of myself. I wasn't yet ready to go. Absolutely. And so really at that age, I just dabbled. Um, and general was interested in things that I would consider witchy or at that, that point, definitely. I don't really use the word occult anymore, but it took like that kind of skew at that age, uh, you know? Mm-hmm. And, um, then kind of ended up walking away from most of it. Um, finished high school, went on to college, went to a Catholic college and, um, just, got, I went to Boston college, so I was in new England. And I think especially that world, you know, is so logic driven, um, Mm. and really fell into that trap of not believing in things beyond what I could see or prove. Um, and it took me years to get back to a place where I was ready to move beyond that again. Um, Mm. And I think that at my core, I am certainly a person who has a much wider range of belief than that, but I lost that for a number of years. Um, And it was really about three years ago. um, All of a sudden, I was just like ready to open the door again. I just had a moment (laughs) driving in the car with a friend And was like, okay, here I go. And then, you know, we were on a little trip and we got back to town and I bought the fountain tarot deck. Um, And it really was the first step for me back into engaging with spirituality, engaging with spirit. Um, 
And then I am a person who very much throws myself into things. So when I decide I'm going to do it, I never, ever go halfway. So within less than six months, I had signed up for uh, the first installment of the Brooklyn Fools online tarot journey. Yes. With the amazing profound and brilliant Jeff Hinshaw, uh, or Trash Canyon. Um, there's some real all-star alums in that group. I mean, it, yeah, our particular, I think so many all-stars of Brooklyn Fools in general and in that particular, um, online journey, just like really incredible group. Gonna give a little shout out to everybody. I miss you all. Um, it was, yeah, it was, amazing, an amazing experience. And it got me really deep. Um, and I think I had started doing daily polls before that, but as part of the course, Jeff has a course book that actually gives you prompts for every single day for six months. Um, and I did them all some weeks I had to do five in one day, but I did every single prompt in that book over the course of six months. You like do dive in. That's beautiful. (laughs) just gotta go for it you know yes absolutely um and that process is the best way to learn just like pulling a card for yourself every day um my practice is really based on journaling so I pull cards and then I will write about what I see and um you know depending on where I'm at sometimes I look things up sometimes I don't and then I start to synthesize everything into like what that means to me um And just the practice of doing that over and over again, like that's how I really learned um, what tarot means to me. I want to like stop, stop you here and just engage a little bit more with that and offer up a strong fuck yes, because I think that this is the kind of thing that again, I hope that this podcast begins to normalize for people that I'm not throwing shade on anyone that does tarot courses. I do them. Jeff does them. I'm not throwing shade on anyone who does tarot certifications, maybe a little bit of shade, but not a lot of shade, (laughs) you know, like (laughs) you, you do, you respect, but anybody who is listening to this, that is, I don't want to say it's, really the richest way to learn because however you learn is the richest way to learn. But I deeply identify with what you are saying. And as a, as a teacher, I, I know for a fact that like I've had students who will go through years of online courses with me and still write like years and still be like, Oh God, I pulled this card in a spread. Does that mean like my marriage is over? And I'm like, yeah. Do you really think that that's true? <laughs> like, yeah. you know, but, <laughs> but you can do this. I'll just say that you can have the, have a great teacher. You can have a shitty teacher. You can have yeah. the best experience. You cannot. It's really about like, what is your commitment level to dropping into your knowing, because if you have that, you have everything. A hundred percent. And yeah, go ahead, please. The thing that I am, I'm really most passionate about, about tarot and some of these other tools is the way that they are, um, tools for self-healing. Yes. 
And the way that engaging with these tools for yourself is an avenue back to power for people that have been stripped of their power. Um, you know, I think in my experience as a CSA survivor, and I'm sure it's true for lots of other trauma survivors, one of the most prevalent things is the degree to which you can feel powerless. And when you start engaging in your own healing and taking power in your role in your own healing, like that has been, has had a more profound impact on my life than basically anything else I've done. Um, fucking yes. You know, and I a hundred percent recommend that people get the support they need that they have access to. I've been working with my therapist for 15 years and it has been so important for me, but the level at which I was able to like start to make breakthroughs when I started to take an active role in my own process through tarot, um, it just changed so much, you know, the degree which I work through things and I see things now is so much faster than before. Mm. Um, and it's another part of the reason that I love plant medicine. Cause it's just another way to engage in healing yourself. Absolutely. And you know, I resonate with that too, as a trauma survivor and tarot has been without question, the most important tool on my journey. Um, because, and the way that you just, I, I want to go back to something that you said that just lit sure. me like just lit me on fire that it's just, I'm paraphrasing, but just, it's this tool to, to reinstate power to those who have been stripped of their power and how you just described your process of learning. It is a part of the journey of the reclamation. Like we have, Uh it's so like, I wonder if you agree. I suspect that you do that. The conversation that we can get into around even the approach to learning tarot is an empowerment yeah. in and of itself. It's like, and you worked with a teacher and yet you chose to take the invitation of your teacher and say, great, I'm going to bring all of what I have to it and walk away with my foundational understanding rather than necessarily, you know, either not engaging with it or giving it back to Completely. Yeah. I mean, it's just so inspiring. And I hope everyone hearing this empower, empower yourself, you know, to, yeah. to say, great, this person says that this person says that this person advises like, fuck them. <laughs> because unless it, yeah, like fuck them all, fuck me. Because really like, unless it <laughs> resonates with you and unless it's anything that any teacher could ever say is only the bottom step to a staircase that you'll walk up your whole life. A hundred percent. And I think, you know, like definitely engage with any teacher that you have access to. If that's this podcast, if that's a book, like engage with those. My teachers have brought me so much, Lindsay, you have brought me so much. Um, but it is really only your own ability to work with that, that I think takes you anywhere. Um, Yeah. And so, you know, like engage with all of those things, take what you need from them and then just keep going with yourself. Hell yeah. So your, um, your username on Instagram is crone of wands, which is, is (laughs) the best for all of the reasons, (laughs) all of them. And, and actually I'm, I'm getting ahead of myself because, okay, we're going to go back to crone of wands for a moment, but I want to keep going. So you, 
graduated from Brooklyn Fools. I know that in the midst of your Brooklyn Fools journey, you created Crown of Wands. Um, so I guess maybe it's a blended question, but sure. Crown of Wands is so evocative, not only because it brings to mind, of course, the Queen of Wands, but it also brings to mind this energy of deep, spiralic crone medicine. So yeah. I'm curious, where was the origin for you and the inspiration for you of that name? Sure. So um, I think the the reason that I initially created Crone of Wands was to participate in a tarot challenge because I was like, I want to do this. Um, and so it was very early in kind of rediscovering tarot. Um, and at the time, I had just learned about the concepts of... Um, significators, mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. Um, which isn't actually something that I really work with at this point in my practice. But at the time I was like, this is such an interesting concept. And I am a Leo sun and a Virgo rising. Same. And I also from numerology, am a life path number nine. Me too. Uh, so funny. Oh, continue. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. No, you're good. Um, And so, you know, at the time I was working with uh, the Queen of Wands as a representative for like the Leo part of myself that actually felt a bit more resonant with me than perhaps the strength card then. Um, And the Hermit in connection with that Virgo and Nine energy. But I also was um, the second deck that I got kind of within the last couple of years when I re-engaged with my practice was the mother piece tarot. And I found a used copy in a used bookstore in Colorado when visiting my best friend. And I was like, I adore this. Um, and just the crone as opposed to the hermit yes. for me felt just like a closer alliance. Um, mm. And that was kind of it. It was like, okay, Crown of Wands, here we go. Here we go. Uh, And, and, you know, I think often, as often is true, the the names that we choose for ourselves then go on to take a lot of different meanings. Um, Mm -hmm. So I think over the course of the last three years, probably a lot of other elements have come into that as well, but that was the original inspiration for the name Crown of Wands. I love it. That's beautiful. And what was your journey post Brooklyn Fool's tarot journey in navigating the waters of like, oh, am I going to do this professionally? How am I going to yeah. begin to exchange with my work? Like, what has that journey been like for you? Yeah. So um, it's. I think it's really interesting. I think coming out of the journey, I definitely had um, a, like this kind of thought pattern of like, okay, I'm supposed to want to be a professional tarot reader now. Like that's Mm. what I'm supposed to want to do next. And, um, I had a real hesitation towards that. And at the time I think I thought it was fear, um, that I was like too scared to do it, that I wasn't trusting in my own ability to do it. And I kept being like, when am I going to get over this fear? Why can't I let this fear go? And then 
maybe about six months later, I realized that it wasn't fear that I actually just wasn't meant to be doing that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, it's beautiful. And, um, so at this point I, um, I do sometimes give readings to others for trades, um, things like that, but I'm not currently reading for money. I just wasn't, it just didn't really feel like the right fit for me. Mm-hmm. Um, and I have a full-time corporate job. I am thinking about ways to start expanding what I offer, um, in terms of what Crone of Wands is. And for me, I'm still figuring out what that's going to look like, but I think it really is centered much more around the idea of like facilitating people's self-healing, because like I said, that's what I'm most passionate about. Mm-hmm. Uh, and how to get people to engage in that way and maybe just teaching and leading, um, in a way that allows people to, to find that path themselves. That's so beautiful, Christiana, because yeah, just because like, again, not to make a meal out of it, but it's, it's like none of it's like, it doesn't, that, pressure I think is real that internally Mm -hmm. felt pressure to do like I'm I'm going through my own journey with that right now and in a totally different way in that like you know I don't want to give readings in person yeah it really drains my energy yeah it feels totally different than distance readings I think I do a better job and I don't like people Mm -hmm. in my house yeah (laughs) like I just didn't know because I didn't even know you could do that like full time I was like oh I'm in New York I you do in person here. I'm like, fuck that. You know, it takes so long to, and you know, I'll do to anyone who like loves in-person readings. It's great. Mm-hmm. I did for a really long time until I didn't, but I feel like learning to drop into your individual medicine is just so important with the direction and your voice as somebody who I think, you know, the, the beauty of your photos and that the, in the, depth and beauty of your posts um service comes in so many different ways yeah and like also it's such an important tool for you yes 100 yeah. um and i think you know that's that's what i'm interested in sharing with people um and i think it's funny because even within like our spiritual lives, I think sometimes we still get on this like very contemporary Western conveyor belt where it's like, okay, we have to do the next thing. The next thing is this thing that we saw this other person doing. Um, and everybody's path is really different. Um, and just holding space for that, I think is the most important thing just because I love tarot and it is so important in my life. Doesn't actually mean that being a professional tarot reader is the right thing for me. Um, yeah. And, and it took me a long time to figure that out. And so I definitely want to support people who are really engaging deeply with these tools, but aren't really sure how it's going to play out in their lives. Um, I'm still figuring it out. So <laughs> we can be in it together. <laughs> yeah, totally. Um, oh gosh. Um, I feel like there's so many directions that I can take this now. Well, one thing that's sort of a, a baby offshoot where we were talking about that 
you and um, our mutual friend, Christy of Ritual Tarot, and one of my former students from way back, um, Mm -hmm. and the creator of the Illus Tarot and the Ritual Oracle deck, she's amazing, uh, created this created this thing that I love (laughs) and I feel like more people need to know about on a larger level. Um, Would you be so kind as to describe what you and she have uh, curated? Sure. So this is like very new as of about a week ago, I think. Um, Christy was posting some stories on Uh, on Instagram stories about taking shade for being a Gemini moon. And I am also a Gemini moon. Um, And, you know, we just like started sending DMs back and forth about how uh, there are certain placements that people just like give you so much shit about and, um, and how internalized that can become like, honestly, up until maybe six months ago, I didn't have one good thing to say about my own Gemini moon. Um, (laughs) because people just like, you get stuck in these stories, you know, like all I could think about was like, Oh, so fickle. Um, and there's just so much more than that. Um, I think both, I hear both Chani Nicholas and Anais from mystical mandrake root say things a lot about how, um, it's all about the full chart. It's all about the person. You know, there's all of these different ways yeah. that you can engage with these energies on like uh, a way that's in alignment, a way that's out of alignment, like there's good and bad to everything. So yeah. I just felt like having a arena for people to like dig into that idea was something that the world kind of needed. And so we started DMing about that and then we just launched a Facebook group. <laughs> incredible born under a bad sign um (laughs) which was christy's creation 100 percent. the name is so good um and it is currently like searchable you can find it but you have to request because it's a private group because we want to keep the conversation like open and we want people to feel free to share um and even just in the last week the stuff that i've learned from the group is amazing um Mm. And people just like digging in. It's been really fun so far. So please join us. It's awesome. Oh my God. I have to, you know, that I love, it's incredible. Everyone join. Um, Born under (laughs) a bad sign. I'll be there too. Um, (laughs) You know, this is like, I want to, we've been dropping like these little love letters to Anais through this podcast. And I want to offer her another one. Anais and Jeff does this too. Um, Mm -hmm. in his own way, but really offer deep soul centered astrology readings. And with, with regard to what we were just talking about, I have a chart that like is kind of not the best. Mm -hmm. It's not, it's not really the best. I totally have some placements that are problematic to say, to say the least. And doing sessions with Jeff and Anais have been very healing because it's not that they're taking it from a positive perspective. They, they really give the chart the overview that I think it deserves, which is like, well, this is the soul path you signed up for is like to have all of your Scorpio 
like in your third house and to have a sun in the eighth and to have your moon that is a Leo moon in the 11th, which is not easy. And to like, you you know, to have these, um, to have like not the best Jupiter placement, technically speaking. And like, (laughs) but, but when you look at it from this perspective of, okay, what it, what is the, not to take it here, but like, what is the larger dharmic aspect of the chart so that you can start looking at it, not from a perspective, because frankly, it's bullshit if you're looking at it from like, oh yeah, I have like an awesome Jupiter placement. It's like, okay, well, people with awesome Jupiter placements can still be deeply struggling in one area or the other. It's like, yeah, yeah, just the understanding of it. So I love you and she creating a safe space for anyone who has this, because I think there can be this really like, I have honestly encountered like almost like a competitive vibe with people Mm -hmm. being like, oh, I have this placement, I have that placement. And it's like, who cares? I don't care about you and your placements. You know, like, it's like, yeah. Like like regardless of what, what placements you have, like stereotypically good or stereotypically bad, there's almost always work to do around all of them. So just engaging with that, you know? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I think, I feel like Gemini moons are, you know, Gemini is a really potent sign and one that mm-hmm. that can be massively misunderstood because I think yeah. with all air, you know, all air signs, there's a potential for um, deep, powerful shifting and yeah. capability to be mutable to a degree that is really powerful. I mean, it's just a really powerful... Yeah. So I think when you have it in the position of the moon, yes. the, the power there is so great. We don't always appreciate, like, I don't think it always gets appreciated, basically, long story short. Yeah. 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 And I have, um, like, a 10th house stellium with Gemini. Oh, wow. Moon and Chiron. And my midheaven is there, you know, so there's, like, all this stuff going on. Um <laughs> all wrapped up in each other. Um, and yeah, I think there's just a lot. One of the biggest things for me has been recognizing how important in my life it is to do different kinds of things and get my satisfaction from different places. Mm. Um, and you know, not kind of like limiting myself to like, okay, I am this and I do this and that's what makes me happy. It's like, okay, here I have this piece of the puzzle and then over here I have this piece of the puzzle and when they all come together that's what makes me happy Mm. Uh, that makes sense oh hell yeah it's absolutely beautiful like so beautiful and I think that's true with anyone of you know and it's you know I would say quite similar to the tarot as well in that there are these cards that were so quick to label even like humorously as like shitty or bad or right. spiky and there's really just so much more to them 100 um, percent, they're some of the best cars <laughs> they are i completely agree um what would you say if you could say um mm-hmm. what is your favorite do you have a favorite card or one that is just one that means a lot to you um so i i think in, in the vein that we were just touching on, um, and I know 
among readers, it is actually a pretty popular answer. The tower is incredibly important to me. Um, mm. In that phase, when I rediscovered tarot a couple of years ago, I was pulling the tower constantly, just all the time. Um, and, you know, in the beginning, I think the way that a lot of people react, it, it can be scary, right? I mean, it's a scary looking card. Um, but I have a friend from, from years ago when I was living in DC after undergrad and we would go out dancing, um, like to all hours, all the time. And whenever mm. the breakdown in a song would come on, she would every single time Sarah would say, break it down to build it up. <laughs> <laughs> that became my tower card mantra. Oh, um, I love that. Where it was just like, okay, we're just knocking everything down so that we have a good foundation to build on That's again. That's correct. Mm-hmm. I love that. Yeah. And so still to this day, like every time I pull that card and like, yep, break it down to build it up. Here we go. (laughs) (laughs) So good. Oh, I love that. Yeah. It's, it's so important. It's a very important one to me as well. And is profound in its, in its teachings. That is to be sure. Mm -hmm. Um, what card do you feel like you're currently moving through right now? Um, it's interesting. I think so. From a tarot numerology point of view, um, I'm in a chariot year, and um, oh, I've read that um, Mary Kay Greer in Tarot for Yourself talks about how um, you don't actually fully move into the energy of like a new year card until your birthday has passed, and the period in between January 1st and your birthday, you're actually in this like melding pot of the two energies. And my card for last year was actually the devil card. Um, and so I spent a lot of last year, like really deeply in contraction. I think the main lesson for me of 2017, was like definitely just learning how to sit with, with discomfort. It came up over and over and over and over again. Mm -hmm. Um, And one of the things that's been so interesting about this part of the year so far is, um, as soon as that like chariot influence got mixed with that, my experience so far of 2018 has basically just been like repeatedly getting triggered, but then having the presence to actually like see the behavior and the way that I'm triggered and the patterns that create it. And actually like assimilate that information and filter that information. And, you know, it doesn't necessarily like eliminate those patterns, but it is certainly the first step to understanding how to change those behaviors. Um, and it has been so powerful, just like mind blowingly powerful. Um, because some things that I've been doing for a really long time, I can just look and be like, okay, I see why I do that now. (laughs) Um, and it's, you know, it's like the beginning of the game changing. So, um, buddy, you just blew my head right out of my ass for two, <laughs> for two reasons. Number one, I love Mary and did not mm. know yeah, that she felt that way because I am also in a chariot year. Oh, oh yeah. And the 
I'm technically in a 16 year, uh-huh. so I'm really in a tower year, but I'm also yep. in a chariot tower year. Yep. yep. Are you honoring that too, chariot tower? Oh, so because of the yeah. way the math worked out, I actually am just in a straight You're chariot. Just a oh, lucky. That's beautiful. Yep. But yeah, I'm in a <laughs> I'm in a tower. I'm in a tower chariot year, and. I am floored by what you're sharing because all I can say is like samesies, exactly mm-hmm. the same. Yeah. And to yeah. the to the degree that the day after my birthday, which was April 10th, so it just yeah. passed, um, it was a very challenging birthday, as my birthdays are often. It's just mm-hmm. the astrology of my birthday. It just yeah. is what it is. Um, yeah. It just... I've come to accept that they'll always be challenging, but, um, (laughs) the day after I moved apartments, Mm. like the day after. So funny. On April 11th. So it's been this constant burn down clarification, stepping out of the cradle, stepping into greater, greater, greater freedom, which has been a trip because it's like, I've never felt more free. And yet it's almost like, Oh shit, like what? And there, yeah. and the clarity and the awareness is so powerful. Yeah. I'm sorry to make it about me. Oh, um, it's great. It, I'm just wanted to share basically because yeah. Yeah. what you're saying is so inspiring. And I had not even thought about that. And as I'm not talking to other people who are having like seven, 16 years. And I should be, it's making me realize that I should be. Yeah. So (laughs) So good. I'm so happy that you're having that experience of it because like, I really think that those, like I learned so much last year from being in a lover's devil year, you know, like so much. So I think, um, yeah, just a lot of power in what you shared. Yeah. Thank Thank you. you. Thank you. What has been the card that, um, you know, has been like your little teacher, the, maybe the card that in your own words or your own experience has provided the most head scratching, the most challenge, the most frustration that maybe has taken you the longest to develop your own relationship with? Can you think of one or a few that you have that with? Um, I think that there, yeah, yeah, it just came to me. (laughs) Um, the seven of cups has always been really tricky for me. Um, and I, you know, I think I'm still working through the lessons of that card. Um, but I certainly am a person who, um, can fall really heavily into fantasy in a way that sometimes is self-destructive. Um, and I think when I'm being honest about what my greatest addiction is, like my greatest addiction is distraction. Mm. Um, and so the, there's this quality of the seven of cups of just like wanting to believe that the things that I'm reading into what's in front of me are the reality of what's in front of me. Uh, but as so often is true, like the layers that we put on things when we layer that up enough, um, aren't really what's going on. (laughs) (laughs) So good. So I have, I think done a lot of work with that card. Um, 
it, it's taken me a long time to even be able to like express it in words like that. So that feels like a big step. Um, and still, I think I'm working with those lessons. So potent. And in terms of how you've begun to, so it's not necessarily that, and it, by the way, it doesn't have to be, but it's not necessarily like the meaning is difficult for you to grasp. It's like the, the teaching of the card is so, one that is deep for you. In the beginning, it was that the meaning was hard to grasp. And I think it's because the teaching was so deep, I couldn't even understand the meaning. Mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. And, and I've gotten to the place where it's like, okay, now I understand the meaning and I'm just working on the teaching. <laughs> you know, it's so funny in the class that I'm teaching right now from fear to medicine, we spend, we, we are doing these cards like we have a death card week and a wheel of fortune mm-hmm. week, but we talk about a ton of other cards that are similarly structured that are, that are different in these really unique ways. And seven of cups has been one of these cards that has come up so profoundly in the crux of the class. And it's just so rich. I mean, one, oh man, it's so rich in like, it requires, I think work every time you pull it because yeah, don't you, I wonder if you agree that, th- at least for me, I won't even speak as a teacher. I'll just like somebody who uses tarot in my own life. Sure. I always have to spend time really checking in. Like, is this a period of distraction? Mm. Because I am very prone to that. Or is it yep. also, or is this an experience of needing to like shit or get off the pot? Because it can be both. At least mm-hmm. for me, it really can be. And it rarely is the latter for me, but <laughs> usually yeah. I don't have problems with making decisions, but it does require <laughs> this, this, it doesn't really let you pass without hanging, no. hanging out in it. And it's very uncomfortable. No, it is. And I think that there, there's like actually another specific tinge to it for me that I, that mm. I don't hear a lot of other people talk about, but it's certainly part of my relationship with it. Um, it definitely calls up money stuff for me. Oh a lot. my God. Totally. Like Genius. I have to really look at how I am spending and what I am spending my money on when I pull that card. Um, every time I pull that card, I want to go like to Bermuda or something. And I have like $200 <laughs> in my bank account. Like, no, yeah. <laughs> I've not heard anyone else talk about that either, but it's true. I'm always like, wow. Like, Ireland's calling and mm-hmm. you know it's like bitch are you crazy like yes. you have bills 100%. to pay 100% and I yeah. think it's because I definitely have a pattern of spending as a way of appeasing parts of myself that feel uncomfortable um yeah. and it's something that I've gotten better about but that's been a lot of my work with that card is like you can't spend yourself to distraction that's not actually how that works um yeah. And it's not smart, even if you can do it. So, <laughs> Totally. Beautiful. Love it. Um, do you have a medicine story that you'd like to share with us about a card that has really, um, about a situation in which you were reading for yourself or someone else where a card has um, bloomed open for you in a way where you mm-hmm. learned about it or experienced something about it in a different way? Sure. Um, I think in general, um, 
One of the decks that I read with most at this point is the Pagan Otherworlds Tarot so um, from Lucy Design, which is truly a beautiful deck. Um, and in general, that deck has transformed my relationship with the court cards. Um, I don't think I really understood the court cards at all until I began reading with that deck. Mm. Uh, and just the imagery and the portrayal of the court cards in that deck is so powerful that it really started to crack open meanings for me. And I think one of the ones in which that has most been true um, is for the Page of Cups. Um, and the Page of Cups in that deck is this this young man and... <laughs> The, the like side note is that he always reminds me of Jamie from Outlander. Because <laughs> <laughs> he looks like he's wearing a kilt. Nice. And, Here for it. Um, you know, but he's holding this cup up and he's tilting his um his chin up in this way that his throat is just like fully open and he is like singing to the heavens. Um and that card has so much for me become about like finding your voice and speaking your truth because of this imagery. Mm. Um, and it just wasn't really, that meaning wasn't there for me before I started reading with that deck. And the first mm. time I pulled it for myself in that context, it was like, this is about finding my voice. Oh, um, yeah. so that's really what that means to me now. Mm. Absolutely. Beautiful. Just so lovely. Um, yeah. And, and, you know, also bringing up something that I think is worthy of touching on, which is, oh man, the court cards, like it, you know, that what you just described in your experience with working with, um, the pagan tarot is that, court cards, no matter what, no matter how in-depth they can be explained to you, no matter how someone may offer even the most bare-bones, loose interpretation, um, it really is about the deck. It, yeah. I, I think, I really do. Personally, I think that the court cards don't start to unlock until you're working with I don't want to say the right deck. There's no such thing as right or wrong, but the deck that, that just does it for you. And sometimes yeah. it can take a long time to stumble into using a deck that is like, Oh damn, like these really make sense to me now, you know? Um, so I love you sharing that as well. And I think too, um, with the court cards, I think the same way, that it took time for me to understand the seven of cups, you know, the, the court cards always feel like they are like higher level healing. Um, and until I was ready to engage with healing on that level, I, I couldn't understand the meaning. You know, I think for me, there's this connection between being able to understand the meaning and being able to experience the teachings. You know, um, I'm all about that. That's right. And until I was ready to engage with my own healing on that level of like the court cards level of healing, 
I couldn't really get in there. And so it was through that deck and the timing, I think that those pieces came together. Mm, so beautiful. And, and yet another beautiful offering for me that just like trusting the timing and your journey with tarot is so important. Yeah. Oh, it's been such a gift to have you today. Thank you so much. Um, so lovely. Yes. Where can people find you? Um, the best place right now to find me is on Instagram. And like we said before, it's crone of wands, all one word. Uh, currently that's where I am engaging. I think the most, um, I recently, like very recently started doing collective readings there that I'm calling crone cards for the collective, uh, <laughs> which was something that I just started to feel really called to do, um, a couple months ago and it took me a little while to get into gear. And you can also find me in the born under a bad sign Facebook group. <laughs> so hang out with us there. So good. Oh, so good. Thank you so much, Christiana. And we'll have um, those links on the liner note of the po- notes of the podcast too. Thank you again for being our guest today. Thank you. Thank you.